This week is Inauguration Day, okay? It is, a, it is a significant day in American history. And as I was preaching through the book of Revelation, you know what I found in the book of Revelation? Inauguration Day. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a couple, of, a couple of weird things. One, I'm going to show you some, some odd historical uh, ironies, coincidences, a couple of them. Uh, and frankly, it doesn't mean anything except I want you to be people who put something into the meaning of days rather than uh, feel dragged around by them. Also, but then I'm going to talk about a day in the Bible that does seem to be actually an inauguration event day. It's in Bible, it's, it's in Bible prophecy, it's in the book of Revelation. I've been teaching through the book of Revelation and it staggered me when I'm in my studies and I realized that the message that I have scheduled to teach on Thursday night next week, this week, is actually an inauguration day message. I'll unpack that a little more. We're gonna be in Revelation chapter 11 and the verses 14 to 19. I have them for you, but it's always good to look at your Bible. Um, make this work. There you go. January 20th, a little bit of historical irony. I told you a couple of weeks ago I was gonna do this, and so actually I've just kind of injected this into my message um, I'm, I'm actually having fun because I'm feeling as if God is orchestrating the, all the stuff that I'm teaching so that it has uh, these beautiful coincidences. In 1742, on January 20th, which is our inauguration day, Sarah Edwards, the wife of Jonathan, began a mystical encounter with God. Now let me tell you about mystics. They drive us absolutely insane. And mystics never get celebrated in their day. They always get celebrated when they're dead. Because mystics scare us, offend us. Uh, they, they, uh, they cause us to challenge ourselves. We don't, we don't like somebody to, to encounter something that makes us look at ourselves and say, what's wrong with me? We don't want somebody to have encounters and us to say, why am I not having the encounters? We don't like it when everything is not the same. So let me just tell you something. Everything is never the same. So Sarah Edwards uh, was uh, the, the, the most, probably the most dramatic mystic of the first great awakening. You remember I told you about her a couple of weeks ago how that when she was 13, her devotion to Jesus was so staggering that Jonathan, who was uh, then uh, <laughs> too old to be looking at a 13-year-old girl, <laughs> nevertheless uh, wrote about her to her father, and four years later, he married her. He was a college student. And uh, Sarah and Jonathan Edwards became America's first power couple. <laughs> and uh, by the way, uh, Jonathan, I already told you this, another irony for what we're going through right now, he died from, an from a botched inoculation for smallpox. 
Inoculations have always been controversial. He died in his 50s, and a few months later, Sarah died. But in 1742, on January 20th, she began to have a mystical encounter. Her husband was so impressed by what God had done to his wife, he prevailed on her to write it down. It's written down under the title, The Stretching of Sarah Edwards. You can actually Google online and you can find an account of it. When I was alone, the words came to my mind with far greater power. The words of Romans 834 and sweetness. Upon which I took took the Bible and read the words to the end of the chapter. When they were impressed on my heart with vastly greater power and sweetness even still. They appeared to me with undoubted certainty as the words of God and as words which God did pronounce concerning me. She goes on to say, I cannot find language to express how certain this appeared. The everlasting mountains and hills were but shadows to it. My safety and my happiness, my eternal enjoyment of God's Immutable love seemed as durable and unchangeable as God himself. Melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, I fell into a great flow of tears and could not forbear weeping aloud. It appeared certain to me that God was my Father and Christ my Lord and Savior, and he was mine and I was his. Under a delightful sense of the immediate presence and love of God, these words seemed to come over and over in my mind. My God, my all, my God, my all. The presence of God was so near and so real, I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, seemed as distinct persons, both manifesting their inconceivable loveliness and mildness and gentleness, and their great and immutable love. To me, I seem to be taken under the care and charge of my God and Savior in an inexpressibly endearing manner. And Christ appeared to me as a mighty Savior under the character of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, taking my heart with all its corruptions under his care and putting it at his feet. In all things which concerned me, I felt myself safe under the protection of the Father and the Savior who appeared with supreme kindness to keep a record of everything that I did and of everything that was done to me purely for my own good. She goes on for paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. She entered into an experience where her body became overwhelmed. She became literally eat, sleep, be carried around. This went on for several weeks. It was was, uh, so overwhelming that it became, yes, a scandal. Because when people see someone, they they go, the first thing they say, well, that can't be God. God wouldn't do this. Can that be God? Is that God? I don't know if that's God. (laughs) So at the end of what she wrote, we have this note. This is from, uh, now if such things as Sarah experienced, these are Jonathan's words, Our enthusiasm, which was his word for emotionalism, and the offering of a distempered brain, let my brain be possessed evermore of that happy distemper. 
If this be distraction, I pray, God, that the world of mankind may all be seized with this benign, meek, beneficent, beatific, glorious distraction. Jonathan Edwards would later be the one because these experiences in the, in the first great awakening, yes, in the, in the decades before the American Revolution, he would, he would later have to explain all of the crazy things that happened. We're living in a time where Americans are possessed. We're possessed by spirits of the age. We're possessed by fear and anger. Left and right, we gather in crowds and act in ways that no one would act alone. In a troublesome time like this, my, well, I just want to say, Lord, inaugurate us again. Jonathan was out of town when Sarah was possessed. He was off on a preaching venture. I'm living with a little bit of expectation, but totally at peace. In the idea that over and over in the history of revival, someone plows, but someone else comes along and gets the harvest. Just as the Bible says. Over and over, uh, someone from out of town, there was a visiting minister. Can you imagine you're the visiting minister and the pastor's wife becomes incapacitated? What am I missing? I was going there. <laughs> I like it. I want you to help me preach. I thought, whenever Gail looks at me, I'm like, I wonder if I'm all right. Yeah, it happened in Toronto. It's again, it's why I'm telling you. Uh, years ago, we made a, a, a journey to Scotland. And I begged a ride over to the church where Robert Murray McShane had been a pastor. I had read years ago the, the memoirs and remains of Robert Murray McShane. He was on a, venture, a journey for both his health and his spiritual endeavors to Israel. And while he was there, one Robert Burns came and preached in his church. And as Burns preached, the spirit of revival fell. And a mighty work of God went through that community. It's amazing to me. I don't know if everyone has these experiences. But when I go to places where the spirit of revival has fallen, I like to be quiet and be by myself and and taste it again. Or I like to listen to someone who's lived in the area and seasoned in that place a long time. And you often listen to them talk and the, and the smell of it is still on them. I remember going to Wales and there where, where the Welsh revival broke out and hearing an old man just tell testimony about what it was like. Even though he wasn't there, you had the sense that he was there because the Spirit of God was on him seemingly in the same way that the Spirit of God was on that movement. In 1994, on January the 20th, Randy Clark went to Toronto, Canada to minister in John Arnott's church. A 
The Spirit of God fell so powerfully on that church that night that they didn't know exactly what had happened. They met again another night and another. Next thing you know, days turned into weeks and weeks to months and months to years. And an outpouring came upon Toronto, an outpouring that offended people because of the wild laughter. It offended people because of the falling and the shaking. It offended people. So oftentimes people who were offended went there to express their offense and were overcome by the Spirit of God when it was in that place. I read testimony after testimony of people who went there to scorn and came out changed. January 20th, 1994, that day that also happened to be our, our beloved friend Barbara Martin's 50th birthday. As she liked to say, God gave the whole world a jubilee on my birthday. I've not lived and loved to see the outpouring of the Spirit in such a fashion, though we have lived in a sweet flow of an outpouring of Holy Spirit for these years that we have been together. So I'm taking some comfort this year that on the day of the inauguration of the President of the United States, I'll be thinking about the outpouring of Holy Spirit. I won't be thinking about the outpouring of the political spirit or the outpouring of the angry spirit that has filled our streets and filled our cities and filled our Congress. I won't be thinking of that. I'll be thinking of the favor of God and saying, oh God, do it again. And all that really is my introduction. Because I want to tell you about Inauguration Day in the Bible. In John chapter 10, John got recommissioned. He'd been ministering a long time when God told him, take the scroll and eat it. And he gets a recommissioning saying, I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And as I told that story last week a little bit, and I went over to Ezekiel where Ezekiel was also told to eat the scroll and where Ezekiel was then taken to the place of the exiles at the river Kibar. And there he sat in the heaviness of the spirit. And as I read that text over you at the end of the service last week, God came and touched me. To that moment, if you'd have asked me, Alan, do you have a sure word from God about the decision you're making? To that moment, I would have said, no, I have a have to inside myself. But from that moment to this, I have no, I got a recommissioning. I'm not quitting anything. Well, I'm quitting being the day-to-day -day guy. Because all I want to do is preach the mysteries of Christ. And if he gives me the opportunity everywhere I go, I'm going to preach the mysteries of Christ. I'm going to prophesy till there's no breath in my body. Truly prophesy under the unction of the Holy Spirit, breaking forth the word of God, exegeting the culture, exegeting the gospel. So John is recommissioned in Revelation chapter 10. And then there's a little setup for what I'm about to give you. John has his recommissioning in sweetness and bitterness. And then he's given an assignment, go measure the temple. 
Because the temple, he is told, is to be measured and trampled. The temple that was being measured in those days was, was the temple in Jerusalem. Paul, we are nearing 70 AD. The measuring of a thing means it's protection. But God tells him, I want you to measure a certain part, but I don't want you to measure outside that part. The part that he was to measure was the part where the holy presence was manifest. And everything outside that was to be trampled by the Gentiles. Surely you're getting this. God had done a work in history. He had sent his son. His son had died, been raised from the dead, and 40 days later poured out Holy Spirit. For 40 years, a temple had been, been, been being built in the midst of the people of God, a temple that would become a temple that would be a house for all nations, a temple of his holy presence, a temple that was measured and marked by those who live in and of the Holy Spirit. And God says, we're gonna trample that which is outside of it. And 40 years later, Israel's temple got trampled, including, by the way, the physical structure of the Holy of Holies because there was no presence there. John has a vision of the prophets and it's a long vision that encompasses the prophets and the history of the prophets all through the history of Israel. And he sees the prophets and they're embodied in Elijah and Moses. They're embodied in those men who uh, carried the prophetic spirit of Torah, carried the prophetic spirit of the utterance of Holy Spirit and represented the whole of the prophetic army of God persecuted and killed and ultimately finding that the people that they were sent to the most, God's own covenant people, were the people who constantly killed the prophets. Jesus indicted them for doing this. Oh Israel, Israel, thou that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to you. How long I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her young, but you would not. And Jesus had the awful responsibility of declaring the desolation of Israel. But all through the Bible, the Bible tells us that the desolation of Israel is an act of God in history that's intended for the, for the ennobling of all of mankind. Go read Romans 11 again. Israel's loss in the flesh was for the gain of the whole world. And even as the Savior Jesus was the one of Israel who died for the whole world, the nation Israel would crumble because God had a new inauguration day. He had a vision of the prophets, persecuted and vindicated, and he had a vision of judgment, partial, and, a, and such a beautiful hint of, this, of what was spared. And so what I'm telling you is John has a vision of creation, old and new. Now let's go into it. I, I, I digress one more moment in chapter 10 because I, I want you to understand me. I want to be understood. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever and who created heaven and what's in it, earth what's in it, and the sea what's in it. Listen, that there would be no more delay. 
but that in the days, Henry, are you with me? In the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So the seventh trumpet, when the seventh trumpet sounds, God's mystery is fulfilled as he had told his servants, the prophets. Listen, I know whenever I open the book of Revelation, people get their mind exploded because we're so stuck in our futuristic readings of it. It's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you what was and is and less about what we don't know is to come. This is what is. And so the seventh trumpet is the announcement of the fulfillment of God's mystery. If you look at God's mystery in the Bible, his mystery is that God is going to take the one man, the one true faithful Israelite, and from that man, he's going to recreate humanity. As in Adam all died, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own turn. It's the inauguration of new creation life on earth. The sun comes forth as the firstborn of new creation out of death. And everyone who receives him lives. Everyone who receives his life. And so the sound of the trumpet, yes, it meant the end of the old, but it was actually an inauguration day and God had riven inside the consciousness and understanding of Israel a knowledge of what the seventh trumpet meant. Jesus had warned them. Therefore, I wanna say to you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and giving to a nation producing its fruit. So Jesus said when he was on this earth that there was a nation coming that would produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. Now, listen, he ain't talking about somebody else. He ain't talking about we're gonna take it away from Israel and give it to America. Let me be really clear about that. He's gonna create a nation to whom he gives the kingdom. His kingdom is not consistent of those who have Israel's bloods in their vein, but those who have Abraham's faith in their hearts. Those who breathe his breath and receive the power of an endless life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. I had never seen that in scripture, there's a moment of its inauguration. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. So see it with me. Daniel had talked about it. The prophet Daniel had told them, listen, there's gonna be four kingdoms. These four kingdoms are gonna come and then shall arise. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It'll break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, 
and that it was broken pieces with, the, with the iron, broken pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. This is old Daniel giving the interpretation of a pagan dream of a kingdom that shall never end. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom. Jesus comes inaugurating the kingdom. Jesus comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the preaching of Jesus. This is why it said, as he told the prophets. It was in the prophets. Finally, we come to our text. Seventh angel blew his trumpet. Loud voices were heard from heaven. Listen, this is in the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And then it says, now. Remember we were told then, now we're told now. Now the kingdom of the world has passed to our Lord and his Messiah said the voices and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones in God's presence felt uh, fell on their faces and worshiped God. Over here, over here, we read, then the seventh angel blew the trumpet and, and there, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdom is only in that passage one time in the, in the original language. And in the original language, it says the kingdom, singular kingdom of this world has passed to our Lord and his Messiah. The kingdom of the world belongs to the Messiah. If you're gonna be shaken up by whatever happens on January the 20th, then you haven't begun to see the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, you can't buy a gun that big. And he will reign forever and ever. He will reign forever and ever. The Bible is about one king and one kingdom. And he will not accept a rival from any other kingdom. And all of the kingdoms that mankind set up will ultimately serve his purpose and bow before him. I will not be afraid of the whelming flood. I will not be afraid of the rising wrath of man. I will not be afraid of the, of the prevarications of culture. And I will not bend my prophecies to try to make them come out the way I want them. I don't need it. I have this. I have this. I have this. I have this. He was talking about, listen, he was literally, the, the apostle is literally talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in AD 70 was a city embattled by, by, by the pagan nation. It was a city threatened by that fourth kingdom. It was a city that was under siege. And guess what? They had all kind of prophets in the city that were saying, Jerusalem is forever. Jerusalem is forever. Nothing will happen to us. They had all kinds of prophets telling them that their body politic was safe. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't the first time. During Jeremiah's days, it was the same way. Because Jeremiah prophesied in the opposite spirit, he ended up in jail. 
Oh, I wish we had a time when prophets were in jail rather than on TV. I'm sorry, I'm stirred up. I'm upset. I'm upset. I'm upset. I've been listening to all these voices. I want to listen to this voice. And the voices, and he will reign forever, and he will reign forever. I don't care who gets inaugurated. Of course I care, but it doesn't matter. Of course I care, but it doesn't stop the truth. So what will we go through? I don't know. Probably a lot. You name a generation that hasn't gone through trial and trouble and turmoil, but in the midst of it all, in the shaking of all the kingdoms of the earth is coming forth a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a people who cannot be shaken. I want you to be an unshakable people. I don't care if your pastor leaves or your president gets kicked out of office. I want you to be a people that are indestructible in Jesus because you're so rooted and grounded in him that you're living from glory to glory. No wonder 24 elders sitting on their thrones in God's presence fell on their faces and worshiped. Listen, it says now, now there was a now moment. He's looking, he's been in heaven and suddenly there's a now in the place where he's been. Now the kingdom of the world has passed to our Lord. I'm, I'm, let me be real clear with you. From, AD, when, from Jesus died to AD 70 was a transitional time. And now he's saying, now, now the trumpet has blasted. And, and it was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. I won't stop there. The seventh trumpet. Henry, you gonna blow me a trumpet? I need a trumpet, man. I need a trumpet. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. trumpet. Let me tell you about the seventh trumpet in the Bible. You need to know this. It'll help you. The seventh trumpet in Israel would have hearkened up all kinds of images because listen, God was writing inside their culture his, the, his the intentions of his heart and his plans. If a Jew was reading the book of Revelation and read about the seventh trumpet, they knew what, the day, what day it was. Because the seventh trumpet blows on, this, on, on Tishri 1, the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish liturgical calendar. Leviticus, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, in the seventh month and the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation, you shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And yes, take a look. Tishri 1 is Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish liturgical calendar is the first day of the new year. And your mind should go because you're not Jewish and you don't think this way. What's Rosh Hashanah? Which, by the way, isn't in the scriptures. It's in later Judaism. 
However, look at, look at Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is considered by the rabbis to be the first day of creation. Okay, so it's creation day. It's also the day that Noah emerged from the ark into what? A brand new world. A world no one had ever seen before. The ark was transition. The ark was transition. All through the Bible, the Bible tells us about the shakings. Be unshakable. I already told you it was the seventh trumpet of the liturgical year. So they would have known. Listen, I want you to get this. They would have known it was inauguration day. Inauguration of creation. Inauguration of Noah's new world. Many teach and believe that it was a unique birthday in ancient Israel. Don't miss this. That in actuality, every ancient Hebrew changed their birthday on that day. In other words, like Noah was 600, that day he was 601. Now, you get this? Because it was a new day for everyone. What's, what are we going to see in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation Immediately after this moment, we're going to see we're going to see something strange here and something strange there. We're going to see the birth of Jesus. So, not surprisingly, people who search out the day for the birth of Jesus often lean into Tishri one, and. It was a unique birthday in Israel, and I said, Jesus, it signaled a change in the heavens. No more firmament holding back the water. Now the earth will be watered by rain. Signaling, listen, the inauguration of kingdom and of new creation. The seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation is the announcement and the trumpet blast of not only new creation, it's the beginning point in the book of Revelation where we begin to see things on heaven in heaven manifested in earth. And it's the moment that signals the inauguration of kings. And kings often had their actual inauguration, Tishri 1. Y'all are getting it better than last night because I'm giving it better than last night. <laughs> Revelation 11. Same text. You saw what happened. You saw what happened. Ah, oh, Alan. You see this kingdom announcement. Now is the kingdom of the world passed to our Lord and his Messiah. And the voices says, and he will reign forever. And then the 24 elders. And this is what they said. Almighty Lord God. We give you our thanks 
who is and who was. Previously, in the book of Revelation, they would add, and is to come. And some of your Bibles have those words added. If you have the King James Version, I think it has those words added because the translators uh, just thought it got left out. No, no. It wasn't that is and was and is to come. It was an is and was. Because you have taken your great power and listen, begun to reign. It's the inauguration of King of Kings and Lord of Lords given in the book of Revelation to announce the old kingdom of Israel is done and finished and the new kingdom of every man in Christ has begun. This is the word of God and it will last forever. When the nations were raging, your anger came down and with it, the time for judging the dead to give the reward to your servants, the prophets and the holy ones. We'd already just seen previously in, in a few verses before the vindication of God's prophets who had been slain and are raised. Uh, servants to the prophets and the holy ones and the holy ones too, and the small and the great, and those who fear your name, it is time to destroy the destroyers of the earth. New creation. New creation. Hallelujah. There's one more thing. Well, maybe two or three. I think you're understanding me. I'm not going to lie. I've been in a fair amount of internal turmoil. And I'm so glad to have done what I've done because now I'm not. I'm going to have some more turmoil because I'm stirred up. I'm way stirred up. But I, I, I hope, I want to, listen, God is cleansing his church. Our church, the church is getting chastened. We're getting publicly chastened and not without cause. I've been listening to people beat on God's church and beat on God's church and beat on God's church. And I've been seeing that the church is a stumbling block in a society rather than a light to the world. He's going to cleanse it so, so a better day can come, so a new day can come. It happens over and over. We see it. This is not the first time. It happens over and over in history. And the reason that there are times of refreshing, the reason there are seasons of revival, the reason there are seasons of awakening is because the church loses its way and gets wrapped up in the body politic or gets wrapped up in, in, uh, in, in, in the worldly pleasures or gets wrapped up in, in the lust of the flesh. And God says, no, 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 no. You're mine. Let's stop for just a minute. Almighty Lord, we give you our thanks. Almighty, yeah, go ahead and give that a hand. Almighty Lord, we give you our thanks. Who is and who was because you have taken your power and your great power and begun to reign. Now listen, the word thanks is the word eucharisteo. Eucharist. All over the body of Christ, we celebrate Lord's Supper. We celebrate communion. Our Catholic brethren celebrate the Mass. They call it the Mass. 
but Eucharist. Hallelujah. The, the giving of thanks. This is why when you sit down to a meal, you give thanks because the saying of a prayer of a thanksgiving over a meal is the sacralizing of eating and the acknowledgement that everything you receive comes from him and that you are his. It's making every meal holy. Our Lord, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. I'll give you a moment if you don't have it. And when he had given thanks, it wasn't just any meal. You know it was the Passover meal. It wasn't just any Passover. You knew it was a special Passover and that Jesus literally ate the Passover, it seems, at a time different than the rest of the nation. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, he said. By the way, he told him he wouldn't do it again until he did it in the kingdom. So here you and I are. We're not Jews, most of us. We're dogs. We're Gentile dogs. And he said, you're mine. Even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. But more than that, we receive him. And so it's with these knowledges that we understand that the bread we eat is the body of Christ. And in eating his flesh, we join ourselves to him anew. Be renewed, church, in Jesus' name. Life is in the blood, and the blood is the blood of the new covenant, and the new covenant is the joy of new creation. And so Christ has given himself for us, and we give thanks. Almost done. Now remember, don't forget, John has been shown the temple. Measure it. Measuring means protection. That passage in the Old Testament where they measured the temple and God said, I'll be a wall of fire around you and I'll be glory in the midst of you. And outside was the trampling of the Gentiles, was the destruction of Jerusalem. And then this, God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared inside the temple. Here's how you know the heavenly temple, the ark of his presence is there. The manifestation of his rule is there. 
The glory of his indestructible life is there. It is the place of new creation. God in his glory is going to cause all of his created world to become a holy temple of his presence. And as I have often said, he is not preparing a place for himself to dwell. He's preparing a people in whom he dwells. Where the glory of his presence is forever and ever. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and thunderclaps and an earthquake and heavy hail. Because you see, while the temple on earth had become Ichabod, he had created a temple. Our Lord had ascended to that throne, that ark. Our Lord was seated and glorified. Our Lord was manifest and present. And you and I, says the New Testament, are seated with him in heavenly places. Breathing and experiencing new creation life. Can't find a channel where that will be adequately expressed. You're the channel. You're the place of his presence. Lean into him now. Would you stand together? Just lean into him.